0: Welcome to Slice of Life. Because a bite was not enough, you've listened to Brenda's bites for years and now Brenda is expanding her show to include lifestyle happenings from around the region. Now here's your host, Brenda Alacy. Good morning everybody and welcome to yet another edition of Slice of Life here on your Saturday. hope your December is going well. It seems like a frenetic time for most of us trying to get everything done, work, shop, enjoy ourselves, have some holiday cheer. Uh, Most of all, spend some time with the people we love and care for. So I hope we can all fit it in. Uh, And I appreciate you listening this morning. Uh, If you're out and about, be careful on those roads. uh, I'm looking forward to the holiday season and Hopefully we'll have a a decent uh, winter as we get into the year. Well, let me tell you, uh, eye health is always something that I'm concerned about. And I met through Sandy Beach, some of the physicians over at Eye Care and Vision Associates. You may have heard Sandy talking about the doctors over at ECVA uh, on his show on WBEN. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome one of those physicians to our airwaves this morning. It's a return appearance, and I'm happy to say this gentleman has treated me and uh, has taken very good care of me. Dr. David Manasani is back with us. Dr. Manasani, welcome. Good morning.
1: Good morning to you, and thank you again for having me on.
0: Oh, it's always a pleasure. I love talking about ECVA because... You know, a lot of times when you have a doctor's appointment, you kind of dread going in. But I always feel so comfortable at your place. From the moment you walk in, you're greeted very professionally by your reception staff. Everybody's friendly and efficient. And the docs are always nice to talk with you know, you answer questions, you don't feel like you're walking out the door. Is it something, a philosophy that you and your colleagues espouse, where it's really patient care and and patience first?
1: Well, certainly. Thank you for saying that, Brenna. You know, of all the compliments you get, that's probably the most, uh, the highest we would we appreciate.
0: I mean it sincerely.
1: Well, Well, thank you. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think not only do we have a common sense philosophy that, hey, treat people like you want to be treated, we also instill that all the way from the top on down. Not that there's a top. We work as a team. uh, We have a team approach in our office, but uh, we instill that philosophy. Be nice to people, treat them like you would want to be treated. And, uh, you know, they're scared and nervous like everybody else going to the doctor. It's nice if we can give them the right uh, diagnosis, but in an efficient, friendly manner.
0: Right, right. And it is a scary thing. Do you find that a lot of people are afraid to have their eyes examined? or touched, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the dilating drops and the bright lights are just as scary as the needles at the pediatrician's office. Uh, but we get that often enough, and it's simple and enough to talk patients through. But uh, but you're right in the nose. If people are afraid of that bright light shining at them and those darn eye drops.
0: Right, right, that's a big deal. You know, I've been wearing contact lenses since I was 19, so it's been a few years. Uh, so I'm used to having something go in my eye. But um, the drops are important because they actually dilate the eye. Is that right, Doc? It gives you a clearer view of what's going on behind the eye?
1: That's right. You know, our job is not to torture people by dilating those <laughs> eyeballs. But, right. But to get a good, thorough examination. And, and you want one, right? Especially if it's been a while. You want to see in the periphery and see in the back of the eyeball. We have to look at the retina and the optic nerve. And there's certain structures we just can't see through a small pupil. Think of that bright light being shown or shined onto the eyeball. Well, if you weren't dilated, that pupil would constrict pretty small. Now, we use a lens to see through the pupil, and we can see somewhat, but we can't see everything we want to. And so the best exam is with the dilating drop, albeit with the torture or having your eyes dilated for a little while.
0: It, yeah, it's a little weird feeling because uh, I like to read when I'm waiting, and it, it takes a little bit of time for the eyes to dilate. So I know it's working when I can't really see the, <laughs> the fine print. And uh, But that fortunately, you know, Doc, it, it occurs to me that that fortunately seems to wear off faster than it did in years past. Is it a different type of drug you use?
1: It, it is a different concentration and, and a different type of uh, dilating drop that we use uh, when compared to years past. Now, it's been the same for the past several years, but before that, we used drops that did last a lot longer and blocked what we call your accommodative amplitude, meaning uh. your ability <laughs> to focus up close. Uh, It'll knock that out for a bit.
0: I, I like that. Accommodative amplitude. Well you said. have so many different uh, phrases in your line of work. And we're talking to Do- Dr. David who who is with Eye Care and Physician Associates. Dr. Montesanti is an ophthalmologist. He's an MD. And there are four locations. I want to talk about that a little too, Doc, because they're very strategically placed. So if you live in the city, there's a location right at 932 Elmwood Avenue in the Elmwood Village. If you live in Williamsville, 811 Maple Road near Forest in Williamsville. Very convenient right on Maple. And in the south towns, it's 3712 Southwestern Boulevard. Just a stone's throw from the Bill Stadium. And folks up in Niagara Falls, you're not left out It's 6917 Plaza Drive. In the Cataract City, no pun intended. So, well, people said. in Niagara Falls. Do you, as a group of doctors, rotate among the locations?
1: We do somewhat, but those four locations are done by design. You know, our original philosophy as a as a group of ophthalmologists was to provide care to everyone we could reach in Western New York. And setting up those four offices, sort of in a diamond shape on a map, covers most of the population of Western New York. We do rotate to answer your question uh, from office to office. Most of us go to two of the four offices. Yeah, we have six MDs in our group and optometrists. And we rotate around, again, most of us go to two offices each, uh, some three. Uh, and there's one doctor that goes to one office, mm-hmm. but all offices are fully staffed with all the equipment. There's like having four main offices and every office has an MD and optometrist coverage.
0: That's great. You know, And I'm glad you brought up those terms too, doctor, the titles and the names um, that you've worked so hard for over the years. An ophthalmologist is an MD, correct? correct. And there's six of you on staff. That's correct. Um, I'm glad I don't have to spell it, <laughs> uh, but then you also have I optometrists <laughs> and opticians. What would you say the difference is to the layperson about what what you as an eye care professional does, and what makes it different from some of the other titles that we're talking about here?
1: Right, that's a good point, and a good question, because that does come up a lot. And people ask, exactly, what are you? In fact, my grandmother says I'm an ot occ- doctor, which is somewhat less than, an occ- than a doctor. <laughs> uh, but, but the answer is the MDs, the ophthalmologists like myself and several others in our group, uh, went to medical school. We did our internships. We did our residencies. We're you know, approved in New York State to do surgery. So we're technically surgeons. And we do surgery on the eyeball in the orbit. An optometrist, also a doctor, someone who went to school to learn about the eyes, is not a surgeon. They can still treat and dispense medicine. They can look at eyeballs and make diagnostic uh, inferences, uh, but they're unable to do surgery, and that's the big difference. An optician is someone who who is not technically a doctor, but did study in the world of glasses and contact lenses and how they relate to the eyeball. So getting glasses and fitting contacts are done by the optician, and many of our eye exams are done by optometrists, and all of our surgeries are done done by the ophthalmologists or the MDs.
0: So that's a full complement of professionals you have. And it's all under the ECVA roof, right?
1: That's correct. Yes, in all offices.
0: I love the fact that you've got um, opticians. Nancy is taking good care of me with my glasses. and uh, She's terrific. She has a real eye for what works. It's hard to tell when you're trying it on you know, a pair of glasses yourself, whether it looks good or if you should try something different. Um, And especially for me, because I'm really nearsighted, so I have to really get up against that mirror. (laughs) So she has a very good discerning eye for that kind of thing. Uh, And when it comes to one-stop shopping so I can come to you doctor you can give me a prescription for glasses and or contacts and then I can get them filled right under the same roof
1: yeah we beautiful we set that up by design as well because nothing worse than getting a prescription and having to go to another place to get your glasses filled then if there is some error or some discomfort you know is it because of the glasses or the original prescription in our office we have it set up so that you can go from if you would like from our prescription from our optometrists or MDs directly to the optician in the office and get your glasses is set up and designed and and fit to your face. If there were ever an issue, it's simply replaced or redone or whatever it takes to make the issue go away uh, at our office.
0: I think that's particularly great at this time of year when you're you know dealing with snow and ice and having to get in and out of the car. Great to have it done at one spot. So when people um, have an eye issue, we talked about opticians, optometrists, and ophthalmologists. How do they know who to call, Doc? If, for example, if you're having pain, or perhaps um, some crusting, or your eyes are dry, or you get hit in the eye, do you automatically call an ophthalmologist?
1: Well said. In our case, you would automatically call the main number. So we have this number six three one eyes. Little catchy phone number, easy to remember. But but the answer is you'll get triaged. You know, we get uh, talked to by the nurse who answers the phone, and that nurse would then set up an appointment to see whoever it is that uh, would likely be the best fit for the problem. Um, and then
0: they determine from their point, okay, come in on such and such a day, and you'll see this particular professional Exactly. take it from there. Yeah, they err on the
1: side of caution, right? Everyone gets to come in. There's no six-month wait, et yes. cetera. You know, if there's a problem, we get you in. We know that eyes are important, clearly. And we want to get that problem solved as soon as possible. So a simple phone call will get that triage to the correct person at the correct office immediately.
0: That's the way it should be. It's 631 eyes, And if you're punching that number in, it's 631-3937. 631-3937. So in terms of glasses, uh, nearsighted, farsighted reading glasses, how do you know when it's time to have that that uh, pair of glasses in your pocket or your purse.
1: That's great. You know, I'm I'm amongst the glasses wearers now, too, after age 40. It it hit me as well. But but to answer that question, there's no medical term, really, nearsighted, farsighted. Now, I use them, too, and we always use those terms. We throw them out there like nothing. But there's not a true medical diagnosis of nearsighted or farsighted. What those terms mean is, in order for you to see clearly at distance, a farsighted person would need plus-powered, you know, uh, convex lenses to see clearly. A, a nearsighted person, quote-unquote, would need minus powers uh, or concave lenses to see clearly. Now, that's a tough one to, yeah. to uh, figure out, right, Over especially over a radio. So, <laughs> so the answer is if you can see really well up close without glasses, but you can't see really well far away without glasses, then you're nearsighted and vice versa. If you see much better far away than you do up close, You'd be farsighted. There's a third term, if we're talking glasses need, and that's what I have, and that's called presbyopia. And that's a fancy word that just simply means you can no longer accommodate up close. We talked earlier about that accommodative amplitude uh, in which we give you eye drops, and it blocks your ability to focus up close. Well, that same thing happens with age. Uh, I, and other people my age, have reached the point where we can no longer focus up close. We can't accommodate. So even though we might see well far away like we have our whole lives, we now, when we look at an object up close, seem to extend or pushing that object, object further away. Nothing worse than going to the restaurant, looking at the menu. And I was just thinking that. You just, you, you, you just that, right. can't read number 34. right? Exactly, on,
0: on right. Or you're holding it out this far exactly. and you're going to knock over your wine glass or something. Have you noticed how a lot of restaurants uh, offer little flashlights or uh, additional lighting for folks who are having trouble seeing? Even the, Sometimes I think, dark, I don't know if this is a medical thing, but when it's dark. It's obviously more difficult to discern those letters.
1: It is a medical thing. So when it's dark, your pupils will expand. Ah. And a larger pupil lets more light that's not refracted. So more light hits outside the center part of your pupil into the eyeball, causing visual confusion. The brighter the light not only makes better contrast because the black and white on the menu is clearer, uh, it also shrinks your pupil down allowing less of those non-radial, those non-central rays of light to pass through your eyeball and cause visual confusion. I've literally taken a picture of a menu with my cell phone just <laughs> so I could blow it up with that bright light to oh, read what's no on kidding. it. Did oh, no kidding. Did you really? No is able. it
0: because you didn't want to pull your glasses well, off? Yeah,
1: or I forgot them, you know, or, Right, naturally. right, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you, too, do you see more nearsighted or farsighted people, or is it kind of a mix?
1: Yeah, no, nearsighted, uh, about three or four to one nearsighted people really? to farsighted people. In, in fact, in, in uh, certain Asian countries now... The, of that population is nearsighted, and it seems to be on the rise. There's a lot of disagreement, we'll say, or quarreling over what the reason for nearsightedness is. It does not appear, at least with the recent studies, that that increase in nearsightedness is due to reading earlier, which we might have thought before. It does seem, in certain studies, to correlate with light at a young age. Uh, something a long conversation we can have again another time, but but uh, there is nearsightedness on the rise, uh, especially in Asia and starting to move uh, westward.
0: Isn't that fascinating? And for me, if you took a family picture, we look like we could be in an eyeglasses commercial. Is there a genetic component?
1: Yeah, there absolutely is. You know, you know, generally nearsighted people. Nearsighted people have a, uh, a slightly larger eyeball, so the distance from the front to the back is further. Well, with the same curvature of your cornea, which helps to refract that light, if the eyeball were longer, then the focusing of that light would be before it hits the red. We call it nearsighted. So genetic predisposition in certain families is to have a slightly larger eyeball, and hence to be slightly nearsighted.
0: Just fascinating stuff. Well, the doctor is in the house. Dr. David Montesani is here with us from Eye Care and Vision Associates. We'll take a quick time out and be back right after this.
1: Are you a fan of succulent hand-carved beef and turkey? Do you like having fish fries available every day? Then come experience fresh, scratch-made favorites at the historic Glen Park Tavern in the heart of Williamsville. The Glen Park Tavern's hand-carved beef and turkey are available in-house or for parties as well. Enjoy a delicious selection of hearty salads, sides, and soups seven days a week. Visit the Glen Park Tavern on Main near Cayuga in Williamsville. It's not just a meal, it's an experience.
0: Make Chef's Restaurant in downtown Buffalo, home of the world-famous spaghetti parm, part of your holiday season. For close to 100 years, Chef's has been Buffalo's favorite Italian restaurant. It's not too late to make a reservation for a special holiday lunch or dinner in the restaurant, or for a banquet in the French Connection or Luann Banquet Rooms. Stop in and pick up some gift cards, or make Chef's a part of your party with our drop-off catering. Chef's Restaurant, 291 Seneca Street at the corner of Chicago, downtown. Give them a call, 856-9187 and online at ilovechefs.com. Thanks for tuning in to Slice of Life. Now back to your hostess with the mostess, Brenda Alasi. And welcome back to this edition of Slice of Life on your Saturday morning. As always, my thanks to Kevin Carr for taking care of all the technical work uh, behind the glass. Kevin does a wonderful job and is a key part of the show. And we're back with Dr. David Manasani who is an ophthalmologist with Eye Care and Vision Associates. If you want to give these gentlemen a call, 631 eyes 631 E-Y-E-S or 3937 is the number to call. Doc, how long have you been an ophthalmologist?
1: I have uh, since 1998 uh, I graduated, so Come 21 years, practically.
0: Boy, you look too young for that. Oh,
1: thank you for that. Holy cow. What are you doing we'll your with eyes your checked.
0: skin? I know. <laughs> You're doing something right. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Let me talk to you about some specific things that I think are very common. You know, I was kidding about that you have a location among your four locations, uh, one of which is in Niagara Falls, which is the cataract city. And that leads me to my question. Oh, is that your most common uh, medical surgery when it comes to the eyes, cataract removal? It,
1: it is. You know, the surgery-wise, not our most common diagnosis, but surgery-wise, yeah, cataracts are our most common. You, you mentioned cataract city, it, it, and here's a funny anecdote, and I'll bring it up because it, it might apply here. The, the term cataract came from the early 1800s when people would describe their vision loss as if there was a waterfall coming over their yeah. service to their eyeballs. And so that got morphed into, oh, it's like a cataract coming over the eyeball. So they'd say that the uh, the vision kind of went dim over time as if a waterfall were in front of my eyes. Well, waterfall and cataract are synonymous. And so it got uh, morphed into cataracts, and then it stuck. And so oh, mid I had no eight, idea. 1800. So now Niagara Falls is the waterfall city, right? Correct. Right, of it's course. It's now called the cataract, the cataract city. Cataract. And most yeah. of us associate it with the eye disease cataract, and that's kind of how it came about.
0: Well, that's a great little piece of trivia. Sure. So that, that's your most common surgical that's uh, correct. procedure. Did you what, you is, said not the most common diagnosis, however. Right, right. What is
1: that? So, so currently, dry eyes. In the dry mm-hmm. eyes, the reason that's most common is it's a big umbrella term, and it usually means irritation of the surface of the eyeball due to an adi- inadequate amount of tear film. You know, in the, in the tear of our eyeball, we have three components. We have oil, mucus, and water. Uh, So they they all come from different glands inside the conjunctiva, sort of underneath the eyelids in in the eyeball. So if your eye is deficient in any one of those three components, then you'll have a deficient tear. If there's less mucus, it'll evaporate too quick. If there's less water, it'll be too thin, the tear film, and less oil won't last very long. So it's our job as ophthalmologists and optometrists to, to see the patient who has this irritation, sort of diagnose which part of the tear film is missing if we can, and then replace it. And it usually means eye drops. The reason that's most common is that we live in an environment, especially in winter, where those heaters are on, right? So the humidity in the air drops way down. Even though you might have a humidifier on your furnace like I do, it's still dry and my skin still tracks. I was
0: going to, you can even feel it on the surface of your hands or your face, the dryness.
1: Absolutely. And so
0: that same... Phenomenon affects your eyes.
1: It sure does. Yep. I
0: see. I see. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, so I actually had an instance of that, but it seems a lot better now. And Doctor Holmwood, your colleague, Doctor oh, sure. Paul Holmwood, yes, another one of my favorites at ECVA, put in um, the little like sticks. I forget what they're called. Punctal plugs is the term. Plugs. Right. Thank you. The yes. Silicone plugs. Correct. I'm thinking. He said, "I can put these in your eyes." I'm thinking, "How the heck do you do that?" Uh-huh. And uh, before I knew what they were in. And so the plugs actually open up the tear duct, is it correct?
1: Well, well, it gives you more tea but it does it somewhat the opposite of that. So, So let's say you're in that dry environment and there's no single layer of the tear film that's deficient. It's just that because it's so dry, your overall tear film evaporates too quickly. Well, the, part of the way the tears leave your eyeballs, they run through these little holes in your lower and upper lids called punctum. They go into the punctum, and then the tears will kind of wash through the canaliculus, a part of a tube, mm-hmm. and into your nose. And then you swallow them, or they evaporate. That's where your tears normally go.
0: And that's why your nose runs. And
1: that's why your nose runs, and you're crying, right. and you cut onions. So let's say that you know, during the winter months, arguably, that's drier, and so that tear film dries up pretty quickly. Well, if you have... Tear loss through the punctum and tear loss through the dry environment. Your eyes will be dry, even though not one layer is missing. So in cases like yours or that sort of case, we can put a little plug to cover the hole where the fluid, the tear, would flow into your nose, thereby leaving more tear in your eyeball. Ah, okay. And so, so it, it feels much better. So it
0: blocks it I see. Correct. So really so, amazing.
1: If you were deficient in any one layer, it wouldn't be quite the correct treatment, right? Because the other two layers might be fine, and certainly plugging the outflow wouldn't be the answer. But someone like you, you, who normally produces a decent tear, just less of it, this is a great treatment for that.
0: Is that something that comes with aging, or perhaps wearing contacts, or being in front of a computer screen? What contributes to that?
1: I think you hit the top three reasons, (laughs) exactly. All of the above, huh? Aging, right? (laughs) We decrease uh, tear production as we age, for sure. Contact lenses cause inflammatory change in the eyeball, just because of... Chronically wearing a piece of plastic that's not supposed to be there, and then uh, computer screen. It's not the screen or the radiation off of the screen that most people think. It's the fact that you're concentrating and focusing on the screen, and you right. don't blink as much. And when you don't blink as much, those tears dry out
0: quicker. Should somebody, I want to ask you about that, Doc. It's a great segue into you know blocking the blue, as it's called. When you're spending long hours in front of a computer screen, or even you know, I catch myself constantly looking at my phone or other digital devices and iPad. Um, Uh, And I find that I often am looking at my phone or my iPad in the evening and watching TV, so I'm constantly kind of shifting – does that affect one's vision or ability to create tears or not?
1: Well, that, that does, right? The, the part about concentrating and focusing and not blinking as much certainly does because you can't spread that tear film across the surface of your eyeball. People will come in saying, well, well, Doc, geez, I'm tearing all the time. i got water running down my face. How can I be dry?
0: Right. And, and it I seems say it's contradictory. The,
1: it sure does, a paradox. And I say the same thing to them, as always, is dry doesn't mean not wet. Dry means not lubricated. And so what's happening when you're at the computer screen and your eyes drying out because you're not blinking and spreading the tear film, your cornea, your surface, will send a signal up to the lacrimal gland and says, hey, I need some help. I'm dry. And that gland will produce water, like aqueous, we call it, water. And that fills up in your eyeball and runs down your face and takes away all the good oils and mucus with it. So then you end up drier. So there's a case where... Your eyes are dry, but you're still producing tears. Think of swimmers, right? You say, oh, they got dry skin, awful dry skin. Well, how can they be dry if they're in the pool all day long? <laughs> that's right? right. Right, so they don't need the water from the pool. They need lotion. Yeah. And same with your yes. eyeballs. You need teardrops.
0: That is a great analogy, and I think that's oh, such a skill you have is making it understandable to the layperson because one would think, well, I've got tears. How could I be dry? But you're saying it's lubrication. Exactly. Big difference.
1: Yeah, big difference, exactly.
0: Very, very interesting. I love talking about the eyes, and certainly, you know, I think about how scary it would be to lose even any sort of one's vision. So there are conditions that cause that, though, right, doctor, like macular degeneration?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me
0: a little bit about that. What are the symptoms? What should one look for?
1: Good point. And, so, and that's a scary one, too, the macular degeneration. We just don't have great treatment. We have some, but no great treatment. Uh, macular generation literally as it states, is a degeneration or a loss of the tissue in the macula. The question would be what's the macula right? So in the back of our eyeball we have this area called the retina and we always analogize that, if that's a word analogize we always we always <laughs> say that that is like the film of a camera. so the light will hit that, it gets absorbed and it gets sent off to the brain and processed into an image. In the center part of that film, that retina, is an area called the macula. So the macula is a place, not a particular structure. It's a place. Ah, It's the center part of your retina. So when you look straight ahead to read something, the light that falls into your eyeball, it lands on that macula. It triggers a signal, and we see it. We can interpret it as words. So when we say macular degeneration, we mean a loss of the tissue, of that retinal tissue in that macula, in that center part of your vision. And we have uh, two forms of this macular degeneration, the, what we call the dry form, meaning there's no blood vessels that have grown there. It's mm-hmm. just that the tissue is sort of dissolving away. We call it atrophying. And when it goes, we can't get it back. There's no treatment for the dry form, although it's slowly progressive and usually not or less severe, I should say. The other type is the wet form, and that's where we make new blood vessels. There's a break in the back of that retina, break meaning a little opening, where blood vessels from the choroid behind our eyeball will grow into the surface of the retina. When they do, they bring fluid and fibrovascular tissue and uh, inflammatory changes that are certainly no good for the eyeball. Now, those are treated with injections, certain antibodies um, to something called VEGF, but with injections into the eyeball, they oh, will help that to... Oh, that sounds gruesome. To, to, yeah, it's no, it's no fun for sure. They will help to to destroy or block those new vessels from forming. But in either case, they cause vision loss centrally. Now, never outside the center, right? Mm-hmm. People with macular degeneration don't need a seeing eye dog or a cane or that sort of thing. But it is devastating in that it can remove your central vision. Mm. We use that to read and to drive and look at people's faces and all of all those right. things. And so those could be severely compromised in macular degeneration.
0: Jack, what would cause someone to get that?
1: Good ones. So the number one uh, risk factor is age. Uh, so, mm. so. There is, a, there is a setup where uh, Caucasian European descendants living in Australia or America seem to have an almost epidemic-like predisposition for it, mm. meaning just our genetic makeup and our exposure, we think, to sunlight, et cetera, and other things, or different diets uh, has set up this situation where our maculas can be atrophied earlier.
0: Isn't that interesting? Wow. It's a little frightening, too, because it's such a large population of folks with that background. Mm. And before we close, um, diabetes is such a big thing in in Western New York. It seems like there's so many cases of this. Um, How does that affect the eye?
1: Yeah, so, so that answer is long. But the short version is that, that when your sugar is high, it causes changes in those proteins that float around your body, mm-hmm. they become glycosylated, attached with sugar, sugar molecules. And when it stays up high enough, long enough, those proteins can damage cells around the capillaries in our retina and then cause leakage of blood through those damaged capillaries. When they become damaged and this blood leaks enough, it can cause vision loss, sometimes devastating. That's an important thing to get exams so we can see it and recognize it early, unlike macular generation, There's excellent treatment for diabetes.
0: It's great to know. So catching that, much like any other disease, it seems to me, catching it early is key.
1: Absolutely. In fact, even before symptoms, we can catch
0: right. it. Right. And that's why it's important to have regular eye checkups.
1: That's correct. That's regular correct.
0: eye visits with an ophthalmologist.
1: At, at the very least annually for someone with diabetes.
0: And what about for the average person, annually or every couple of years?
1: We say over 60, we say annually is reasonable for lots of things like cataracts and macular degeneration, and glaucoma we'd want to look at. Uh, younger than that's every couple years, that's unless there's doable. a problem. It
0: should be. Yeah, that's great. Dr. Manasani, as always, you are a fountain of information. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in. And I could talk to you for hours. There's so many things with the eye that is just so fascinating. And- uh, you know, the the vision sense is so essential to our way of life. So important to stay on top of that. Thank you so much for coming in this and morning. Thank
1: you. Very nice words. Thank you very much, Brenda, as always.
0: Great to talk to Dr. David Manasani, ECVA, four locations around the area, 631-3937. That'll put a wrap on this edition of Slice of Life. Until next time, thanks for carving out a slice. We'll see you next time, and go Bills. Thanks for listening. Brenda will be back next Slice of Life on ESPN 1520.